Hey church, this is Pastor Matt Zola from Fern Creek Christian Church. So glad you're able to tune in with us today here on FC Radio. I hope this message encourages you in your walk of faith and helps you to become a better follower of Jesus. Check out our website at www.ferncreekcc.org and let us know how we can be praying for you. Here's the message. Today is kind of a, we, we, we kind of reached the finish line. We've been in the book of James uh, in this series called All Grown Up, and James is teaching us how we move from the kiddie pool of faith down to the deep end of the pool. And we've learned there's some things that have to change, that doesn't just happen automatically, there's things that change. And today we're going to kind of, kind of wrap this whole thing up. James is going to give us one more practical handle. Here's something that's got to change. If you want to grow up spiritually, you've got to learn how to wait. Yeah. I don't know anybody who loves to wait. They're, they're, they, people who are smarter, wait, wait, way smarter than me, I'll ever be, have, have studied this. And the average human being will, um, over the course of their life, spend three years waiting in lines. Like, like you will waste three years of your life waiting in a line. They say two weeks of our life is wasted waiting at red lights. When you total it all up, seven weeks of our life waiting for uh, people to return phone calls, you know, wait, waiting, waiting on the phone, waiting on the phone. So I got to thinking, man, we wait for a lot of things. We, we wait in the doctor's office. We wait for people to call us back. We wait for our groceries. You know, we're in line. We even wait at the ER. And I, I find that very intriguing. Anybody ever been to the ER? Anybody? Anybody? There's no one in a hurry there, as far as I can tell. I don't know if you've ever gotten in quick at the ER. I, I haven't. Like, I mean, like you could be a guy with his hand wrapped up in a bloody towel carrying your thumb in a Ziploc baggie with ice in it. And you could walk up to the lady and she could say, sir, what's the issue? <laughs> I guess I'll go with my thumbs in a Ziploc bag. And then the, the other question, well, how would you rate the pain? <laughs> well, I'd like to give it two thumbs up, but I got one in a bag, right? And it just, just I, I don't like waiting. And, and while waiting can kind of lead to anger and frustration, lots of normal human emotions, James says one of the things that we've got to learn if we want to grow up is we've got to learn how to wait. So if you have your Bibles, look at James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we're going to finish this whole thing up today. Look at verse 7. Look at what James says. He says, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Now when you look at those two verses, I've, I've highlighted a couple of things. Twice in two verses, James tells us that we're all waiting for something, and we're all waiting for the return of Jesus. Now, we all know that Jesus died, he was buried, that he rose again, that he ascended to the Father, right? That, 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 that's core common belief. But, but in that same core common belief is this understanding that Jesus is going to return again. Like, he, he is coming again. He, he came the first time as the lamb to be slaughtered for sin. But he will return the second time as the lion who judges the world. He came the first time as the lamb who serves. He will come the second time as the lion who reigns. He came the first time as the lamb to seek and save lost sinners, but he will come the second time as the lion to redeem the saints. If you are new to the faith, you're a baby Christian, 
you got to understand something. The literal return of Jesus, like the second coming of Christ, is a core, basic, fundamental doctrine that we believe. Over 300 times in the New Testament are, are there verses that, that tell us this. There are more verses that talk about the literal return of Christ the second time than they do talking about his first arrival. We have an entire book in our Bible dedicated to the second coming of Christ. What's it called? Book of Revelation, right? Jesus told us that he would come back again. Look at John chapter 14. I'm going to have you help me with something. John chapter 14, look at verse 2. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, tell me the next four words. There it is. I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. The author of Hebrews talks about the second coming of Jesus. Hebrews 9.28, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So friends, listen, we can, we can debate when, we can speculate how, but we all stand in agreement that Jesus is coming again. Amen? Amen, right? Now, I get it. That was 2,000 years ago. And when Jesus said stuff like, behold, I am coming quickly, <laughs> it's been 2,000 years. And people can smirk and smile and say, well, maybe the clock was off a wee bit. But, but I say, whose clock are we going by? We're not going by your clock. We're not going by my clock. We are on CGT, Central God Time. That's whose clock we're going off of, right? Look at Psalm 90, verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day. So friend, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus said, I am coming quickly, that's just been two days on his clock. Man, he is coming again, right? And G, uh, James reminds us that as we wait for Jesus to come again, there, there's a proper way to wait. And so all of James chapter 5, if you want an outline for James chapter 5, it's learning how to wait. As a matter of fact, look at this list. This is all of James chapter 5. As we wait, this is what James tell us, tells us to do. Don't hoard, be patient, don't grumble, don't take an oath, pray, confess your sins, restore those who wander. Now that's quite a list, and, and there's no way I could roll through all of those things so I'm like, Lord, I just need one. I'm a simple guy. Just give me one. What's one thing that we need to do while you're waiting uh, that would benefit us as individuals, benefit our church? And so I just kind of prayed, and here's where God nudged me. Here's the one that God kind of spoke and breathed into my heart. James chapter 5, verse 9. <laughs> Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. So, so once again, James is saying, the return of Christ is coming. It's, it's coming quick. So as you wait, here are a bunch of things. But the one thing, he says, don't grumble. So, so if you want to grow up in the faith, as you and I wait for the return of Jesus, we don't grumble. Now, for many of us, <laughs> for many of us, grumbling is our default mode, is it not? Right? Maybe you were born into a family of grumblers. Your last name is Grumblestein. You're 
You, you grew up on Grumble Drive. You, you began to speak grumble at an early age. Grumbling can be so ingrained into us that we, we oftentimes can fail to see that it, it permeates our life. Look at all the ways God's people grumbled against him while they were in the desert. They grumbled because they didn't have enough water. They grumbled, man is not enough, we need meat. They grumbled because they didn't like the wilderness. They grumbled because they thought Moses was a poor leader. They grumbled because they missed Egypt. Now, now stop. They grumbled because they were no longer slaves. Who would have thunk? They grumbled because they hadn't yet reached the promised land. They grumbled because God had let them down. They grumbled because they saw giants living in the land. They grumbled because Moses married an Ethiopian woman. They, grumbling was not just a rare occurrence in the life of God's people. It was their national pastime. They reveled. They, they rejoiced in their grumbling, right? And it got so bad, Moses said to the Lord, just kill me. I, if I got to listen to these whiny behindies, it'd be better just... Moses was a grumbler too, right? He grumbled, right? And God didn't take too well to their grumbling. Do you remember what he did? He sent poisonous snakes to bite them. And then, you know, they were so rebellious and so grumbling, he, they got to the edge of the promised land. He said, not today. I'm sending you back out in the desert for 40 years until all the grumblers die. Now, I, I, my brain works a lot different. When I hear that God turned them around, sent them into the desert for 40 years until the last of the grumblers died, my brain goes, how did that go down? Who was the last grumbler to go and how did that work? Because that's, that's the deal. You're going to live in the desert until the last of the grumblers die. There, there had to be a last one. And can't you see how that went? Like 40 years they've been waiting for all the grumblers to die. And finally there comes that day when the last one is like barely hanging on. And, and Commander Joshua, we have done the tally. There is one grumbler left, and when he dies, we get to go into the promised land. His name is Jedediah Crankybottom, tent 1205. He's about to go. We can leave when he dies. And they all go running to his tent. Nurse, how's he doing? Why, his vitals are improving. And can't you see him going, come on, man, just die. We want to go in. And then he picks up his head and he's like, I'm not dead yet. They're like, come on, you need to die. We got to go in. And the nurse says, put the pillow. It's how my brain works, right? But, but what did that whole generation give up because of their grumbling? Man, they, they missed out. They missed out on the promised land. They missed out on God's blessing. Grumbling sent them into a death spiral. And, and that's why James says, man, it's dangerous. It's not only dangerous, it's sinful. And James says, as you're waiting for Jesus to return, you've got to train yourself, you've got to learn not to grumble. So let's talk about what grumbling is. How, how would you define grumbling? Best definition I've ever read in my life comes from a guy named Scott Hubbard. In an article about grumbling, listen to what he said. He said, grumbling is discontentment made audible. The heart's contempt escaping through the mouth. It is the sound we make when we have a strong craving for something we do not have and we begin to grow restless. How good is that? It's exactly what grumbling is. And here's why grumbling is so bad. Grumbling does some things to you. Number one, it sours your heart. 
When you and I begin to grumble, it sours the heart. Now, what happens? What happens when your expectations go unmet? Well, one of two things will happen. When, when, when you have unmet hope, unmet dreams, unmet expectations, you can get dinged by that, but you can come out of that grateful. What, what, what I mean by that is you can say, Lord, that stinks. You know, but, but, but thank you. I am thankful, even though it's not falling the way I want it to fall, even though I'm not getting what I really would hope to have gotten, I, I still praise you and I thank you for being so good to me. See, that's, that's a heart that flows with, with gratitude, with a heart that flows with praise, right? But we can also have unmet hopes and dreams and expectations, and we can get dinged and not respond with gratitude, but we can be dinged and respond by, by being damaged. Can't believe it. God, why? This is so horrible. How could you ever let this happen? I can't believe what they're doing. You must not love me. You must not be See, now, now the heart turns sour. Now the heart grows bitter. Grumbling is a toxin that calcifies your heart. And give it enough time, grumbling can cause spiritual heart attacks, right? So, so, so grumbling will sour your heart. Here's another thing grumbling does. It'll blur your vision. It doesn't just sour your heart, it blurs your vision. Back to the article with Scott Hubbard. Listen to what he says. Our own grumbling, likewise, relies on an interpretation of God, ourselves, and the world that is utterly out of step with reality. Of course, it feels like reality. The serpent's voice always does. So as we talk about blurred vision, listen to what he says. We grumble because we have diligently listened to a voice other than the Lord our God's. And we have begun to repeat the words instead of crying out to God, help me trust you are good, we mutter and spill and vent the equivalent of saying, God, your ways are not good. So again, it blurs our vision on who, who God is and how good he is. Do, do, you, do you know how long it took for the Israelites to grow? So God leads them out of Egypt, takes them to the Red Sea, splits the sea. They walk through. The Egyptians come. God closes the sea and he, he saves them. Do you realize how long it took after that being saved by God? How long did it take for them to start grumbling? Ready for this? Three days. Three days. And they started to grumble. Their pockets are lined with gold and jewels the Egyptians had given them. Their clothes still have that salty smell from walking through the Red Sea. Their journals are still lined with the ten plagues that God had used to deliver them. And yet, man, in three days, spiritual amnesia, a spiritual fog rose in, and they forget. Their, their vision of God is forever blurred. And I just want to remind you today, I want to remind you, no matter where you are this morning, God is for you, God loves you, and man, he cares for you. And, and, and even the dark threads of your life, even the pain, even the difficulty, the disappointments, he uses for good. He is the refiner preparing us for an eternity with him. So don't let disappointment, don't let grumbling blur your vision. Here's another thing grumbling does. Grumbling clouds our judgment. So it sours the heart, it blurs our vision, and it clouds our judgment. Do you notice how grumblers say the craziest of things? When, when, we, when we grumble, we say crazy things. We could be standing in a closet full of clothes and begin to grumble saying, I don't have anything to wear. Huh? 
Or do you know grumblers who grumble about the weather? Like it's December and they walk out, they go, oh, it's so cold. It's the middle of December. How cold is it? It's like Einstein. They don't call it December for a reason. Put on a coat, right? That's the way it happens. We walk, uh, we walk through this grumbling stuff and we say all kinds of crazy things. Say crazy things about people. We say crazy things about life. We can even say crazy things about God. Let me show you. Let me prove to you how grumbling clouds your judgment and can make you say all kinds of crazy things. Let's go back to, to, the, God, to the people of God. So, so Moses is leading them out of Egypt. And they get to the Red Sea, and they see the sea in front of them, and Pharaoh's army is coming back, you know, coming after them. And, and well, here, here it comes. Look at Exodus 14, look at verse 10. Look at the crazy things they start saying. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Huh? Do, do you see how crazy what, what they just said? It's like Moses finally turns to them and he says, oh, you're on to us. Yeah, there was a grave shortage back in Egypt. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Yeah, yeah, it was going to take six months for a permit to get new graves dug, so we decided to bring you out here and we can just bury you in the desert. That's, a, that's exactly, you're on to us. Well, how crazy. Look, look at this other crazy thing they said. Look at verse, chapter 16, verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled. There we go. They grumbled against Moses. And Aaron, and the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, you brought us out into this desert to starve us to death. <laughs> Moses is like, yep, can't pull one over on you. All those miracles back in Egypt were just a smoke screen to get you out of here. So me, an 80-year-old stuttering man, could kill all million, million of you. That, yeah, you're, you're, you're on to, you're smart. It just clouded their whole judgment. So when we grumble, man, it sours the heart, it blurs our vision, it clouds our judgment. But here's the last thing it does. It snowballs. Have you ever noticed grumblers never travel alone? <laughs> they travel in herds, right? I mean, no, no one, no one wants to grumble alone. I guess misery loves company, so grumblers get together because a party for one is not a party at all. So they're like, hey, did you hear about, oh, yeah. And, they, and like, 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 like a virus, man, grumblers can, I have watched, I have seen the work of God grind to a halt because of a small group of grumblers. So, so James is teaching us, Jesus is coming and as you wait for his return, do not grumble. So how do we stop it? How do we stop grumbling? Well, a couple of really quick things. One, remember. You want to stop grumbling, you need to remember. Now let me give you a little quiz. Do you remember what was in the Ark of the Covenant? You know the thing Indiana Jones found at the end of the movie, right? right. Do you remember what was in the Ark of the Covenant? Turn to your neighbor. Well, I'm going to give you a multiple choice. I'm going to give you four things. Which one was not in the Ark of the Covenant? If you get this one wrong, you've got five years of kids' church. Right? Which one was there? Yeah, the donut wasn't in there. But, but let me remind you of the three things that were in the Ark of the Covenant. Number one, the Ten Commandments. The two stone tablets. This was the law of God. He's a holy God, and God wanted all of his people to remember you need, this is how you need to live. Right? So the law was in there. The rod of Aaron was in there. Oh, this was the rod that was used all, in many of the miracles of Egypt. So this was the illustration. Remember my power. And then there was this little, the one that always gets forgotten the most, is the little jar of manna. 
little, little jar of manna. Now, you remember what manna was, right? Manna was the white stuff that God fed the Israelites with for 40 years. Every morning they would wake up, and on the ground there was this white little, like, bread stuff. And that's what they would eat, right? And remember, God told them, you can only collect enough for the day, because I want you to depend on me every single day. And if you gathered more than enough for the day, the other stuff would rot, with the exception of the Sabbath day. You can't work on the Sabbath, so the day before the Sabbath, you could collect two days' worth. But here's what most people don't re remember. The manna that was in the Ark of the Covenant never spoiled. It was miraculously kept fresh. And I think it was God's way of saying to his people, I don't want you to ever forget how much I provide for you. Don't ever forget how I care about you. And so if you and I want to kick back against grumbling, just remember the goodness of God. Before you, before you start, remember how good he's been to you. Remember how you walked away from that car accident. Remember how God protected you from making that horrible mistake. Remember how God opened that door to that brand new job. Remember how God placed a hedge of protection around your children. Remember how God brought you through chemo. Remember how God brought that person into your life to introduce you to Jesus. Remember how God gave you the strength to forgive. Remember how God freed you from addiction. Remember how God took care of you financially. What I'm saying to you is don't let the shelf life of God's provision be, be forgotten in three days. Remember. And when you remember how good he's been, how faithful he's been, it does the second thing. It makes you rejoice. Grumblers don't remember the goodness of God. Rejoicers and remember, because remembering makes you rejoice. I want to put a passage on the screen for you. I'm going to have you help me with this. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give me the next two words. In everything. Give it to me one more time. You know what in everything means? <laughs> in everything. Now look at it. In everything give thanks. Even the cancer? Give thanks. Even the lost job, give thanks. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Being thankful is a choice. Rejoicing is a choice. Now, now I, you know, have you, ever read the, have you ever read the book Robinson Crusoe? Robinson Crusoe is a great book about, about, about a, a ship that got wrecked on a beach. There's one survivor, this guy Robinson. Everybody else dies. It's the original castaway before Tom Hanks, right? It was, it was way before that. And as Robinson Crusoe is on this island by himself, he's weighing out all of the misery that he's experiencing versus all the blessing. He's decided whether he's going to live or die. He's going to choose. What am I going to Am I going to be miserable? Am I going to be thankful? And this is what he says. He says, I'm cast upon a horrible, desolate island, void of all hope of recovery. Well, I'd call that a grumble. Then he says, but I'm alive. I'm not drowned as my ship's company was. Well, I think that's a rejoicing. I am singled out and separated, as it were, from the world to be miserable. That's a grumble. But I am singled out, too, from all the ship's crew to be spared from death. And he that miraculously saved me from death can deliver me from this condition. Well, that's, that's a rejoice. I have no clothes to cover me. <laughs> that's a grumble. Naked's pretty bad, right? But I'm in a hot climate where if I had clothes, I could hardly wear them. <laughs> that's a praise. I guess I could be naked in Alaska, and that'd be a lot worse, right? I have no soul to speak or to relieve me. That's a complaint. 
But God wonderfully set the ship near enough to the shore that I have as many necessary things that could supply my wants, enable me to supply myself even as long as I live here. That's thanks. I, I guess what I'm suggesting to you is this. Whatever you're going through, you got a choice. You can grumble or you can be thankful. Now notice I didn't say you could be happy. You can be thankful with tears rolling down your cheeks. When we remember the faithfulness of God, when we remember how many times he's shown up for us, when we remember his goodness, it nudges us to the thankful side. So James is telling us as you wait, as you wait for the Lord to return, don't grumble. And we push back against grumbling when we remember and we rejoice. So here's your homework. You ready? I'm going to give you homework. We've learned about grumbling, so here's your homework. For the next 30 days, no grumbling. Okay, you three already lost. <laughs> what would it look like for you not to try to not grumble, but to train yourself? You don't try. You don't try. You train. What would it look like for you to say, okay, Lord... James says, as we wait, not to grumble. So I'm going to train not to grumble. I'm going to memorize a few verses. I'm going to get some accountability. I'm going to pay my kids $10 every time I grumble. I'll do whatever it takes. But I wonder what God would do in the next 30 days if you and I, with his help, could get through 30 days without grumbling. As we wait for the Lord, don't grumble. Let me pray.